So if you would turn in your Bibles, if you don't have them all open already, to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Interesting verse that this is uh, kind of setting the, the tone for this series is, is what is the gospel? We're going to start looking at the power of the gospel this morning, and next we're going to look at how we apply that, and then finally, what does the gospel do to us? Who are we as a result of that? What is our identity, and how is that, how is that changed? So... Paul says in, in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. Well, that's pretty all-encompassing, isn't it? That the power of, of God is worked out in the gospel through our faith. And, and that term, the righteous shall live by faith, that's almost a, a summary statement for the people of God, is it not? And we need that preached to us all the time, not just for the message of salvation, although we certainly need the gospel preached for people to come from death to spiritual life. We need that. And that is what we proclaim in the world. However, the gospel sometimes we think of it as a one-time check the box. I heard that, believed that. Now let's move on to deeper things. And sometimes we need to remember that it is the gospel that saves. And we're going to look at how the gospel saves today. You know, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, he's commending the folks in the book of Ephesians actually to grow up. He's showing them how to grow up in the truth, how to grow up uh, in their spiritual lives. It's interesting, he says, that to grow up in the truth, you need to speak the gospel. Speak the truth. The truth is Jesus. So he says, continuously be speaking the gospel. You know, if you look at verse 15, actually, in the book of Romans, Paul says, I can't wait to come talk to you guys, you believers, you blood-bought believers in the body of Christ. I can't wait to come to talk to you and preach the gospel to you. You say, well, wait a minute. They've already heard the gospel. They've already been saved. See, the gospel is more than just a salvation message. We really want to get that this morning. You know, we talked uh, a couple weeks ago uh, when I was here last. Howard filled in for me last week. appreciate him. I don't know if he's here this morning. He's still traveling. We talked about our job in life. Our job description is to be disciples who make disciples. And we must be able to gospel each other as we do that. You know, Vince Lombardi is very famous for our after the Green Bay Packers had a, a really rough game. He's famous for getting them together and saying, we need to go back to the basics. You all know the story, right? And here's how he started. He held up a football. And he said, this is a football. And that's where he started. So today, in this series, is kind of like that for us. Every year, I think, we need to do this, where we say, hey, this is the football. This is the gospel. This is the very basics of what we do. It's good news. It is the good news of the gospel. So let me ask you this, a couple questions to start off with. Do you feel capable of sharing the gospel this morning with your friends and your family? Do you feel capable? And a lot of us would say yes, but I think there's a lot of us also in the church today that say no. Maybe because we have um, taken the preaching of the gospel and evangelism to a professional level. And so we've kind of forgotten what, what it is that we need to be able to communicate to other people. So we're going to look at what the gospel is. But first, let's look at what it is not. 
what the gospel is not. The gospel is not simply a message that we are okay and God loves us and Jesus wants us to be his friend and we should just live right, live a certain way. That is not the gospel. Now, those things may happen, but that is not the gospel. Nor is the gospel that Jesus will fix all of our problems in our life, financial problems and uh, um, physical problems, spiritual problems, yes. God's plan for Christians is not to make them healthy, wealthy, and wise. Now, all of these are true in some sense. Don't get me wrong. They're all true in some sense in some context. But that's not the primary focus of the gospel. So what is the gospel? And if I was to ask you this, say we're just sitting around the kitchen table, and I said, you know, what is the gospel? Where where do you find it in Scripture? What kind of of response would you have? Where's the gospel in the Scriptures? I say, open your Bible and... Show it to me. Where's it at? What would you say? Romans, uh, John three sixteen. Okay. What else would you say? And that's not wrong, but I'm going to show why I think it's not complete. What else would you say? A lot of people say Romans Road. We got four or five verses out of Romans. We we go through with you. Uh, maybe we go through Galatians. Talk about the first chapter of Galatians. Kind of stuff. Yeah, Genesis and Revelation would be a, a good answer because it's a story we're talking about here. And I think sometimes we try because we, we need to have that silver bullet, we need to have that magic bullet that we can throw out there and say, here, just believe that, believe that verse, pray that prayer, you're saved, we're good, let's move on. So really what we do find is that the gospel is a story. I want you to get this now. The gospel is a story. Starts in Genesis, ends in Revelation, the peak of which happens with Jesus Christ living his life here on earth. The story is based on facts, right? Because any story, any story that's good news has to be based on facts. So the parts of the gospel that we want to start off with that you understand is that there's something about who God is that we need to understand. There's something about sin that we need to understand and who we are and how we got into this mess. And there's something about Jesus that we need to understand and what he did when he got here on earth and what he did at the cross and how he was resurrected and how that affects me. And there's something about faith that we need to believe all of that. So yes, we can find those things in verses. Do not get me wrong. And that's where we go to get them. But it's a story that we need to be able to communicate. That we need not only to communicate, but to live. You know, it does start with the fact that God the Father, holy and righteous in all his ways, created mankind to have a love relationship with him, to worship him and serve him and obey him for all eternity. That's where we start in Genesis. Then we find also that mankind disobeyed. Call that sin. He became alienated from God. And, And mankind is in danger of an eternal and agonizing condemnation at the hands of God. Get this now, because the gospel is not good news unless you hear the bad news first. And here's the bad news. God is angry with sinners. And he's going to punish sin. Righteous anger, righteous judgment. But he also promises a Savior throughout the entire book. That's Jesus. You know, we got that verse in Ephesians, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, sent his eternal son to be born by the Virgin Mary to be that savior that he had promised throughout 
history. To die as a ransom and as a substitute for the sins of rebellious people. And through faith, through believing that, the perfect obedience of Jesus and his willing death on the cross is the payment for our sins. Because we believe that, we get to be righteous like Jesus. And all who repent and believe will be saved. That's the gospel. Can you communicate that? The righteous shall live by faith. We need to understand who God is and what he has done. Three aspects of our salvation that never quit working in our lives to reveal what God has done and who we have become because of Jesus and what God did. Three aspects we're going to look at this morning. This is really the power of the gospel. I want you to get this. The gospel is power. The power of God through faith and believing what he has done through Jesus for us starts with our understanding that we've been saved from the penalty of sin. It's a past reality of the gospel. When you come to conversion, when you are dead and you come to life, you realize that we are saved from the penalty of our sins, from that judgment that I just talked about. Oh, by the way, we are never saved simply... um, from something. God saves us to something. So every time I say we're saved from something, we've got to add that what we're, where we're saved for. What's the purpose in that? He just doesn't save us and leave us there. He gives us a purpose. You know, it's like the guy who gets out of prison. Right? You've always seen those stories and you've been in prison for many, many years. And What do you normally get when you get out of prison? Not that I'm saying you guys have ever been there. You get the suit maybe you wore in and a little brown paper bag of stuff that you, and here's ten bucks. Have a good life. You're forgiven now. All's good. That's not what God does. We are saved from the penalty of sin so that we can be the dearly beloved children of God. Get that. God saved us to love us and be his dearly loved children. And that doesn't make any sense until you understand the story that we just went through. You've got to understand that story for what God's doing for you to make sense to you. Paul says in verse... 18 of Romans, he says, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. He says the wrath of God is being revealed. There is judgment coming to people who don't believe. It's not a popular subject today to talk about judgment. But it's been revealed. It's coming. Men who suppress the truth, they suppress what they know about who God is. We'll get more into that here in a little bit. He says, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. That's why there really is no such thing as an atheist. All people believe that there is a God deep down. Even if they see it in creation, they really do know that there's something out there. For since the creation of the world, verse 20, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Here's the deal. We all, we as a people, as a species, we know there's something about God that's true. It's visible and it's in creation and it's not hidden. God is all around us. Who drove across the bridge this morning to come over here? Did you see the ocean? Did you see Point Loma over there? Did you see? Isn't that awesome? The cliffs, the trees in the valleys of San Diego. Sometimes we come across, we see the morning fog and the waves crashing on the beach. That's the majesty of God. Paul is saying we have plenty of evidence 
to understand what God is like, to understand that he's there. And yet he says mankind, and all of us at some point believed this, we rejected him. And we suppressed the truth. You know those old uh, jack-in-the-box, you'd wind them, you'd push the guy down in there and put the thing on there, and you wind it up, and finally he'd pop out. Yeah, we're like the guy inside the box. We're, t- you know, we're suppressing the truth. We're sitting on top of the box, I should say. The truth is inside, and we're suppressing it. We're keeping it down there. We don't want to let the truth out. And so we begin to worship the creation. Instead of the creator, we start to act depraved and do all kinds of wicked things. How do I know? Just turn on the news. The world is a broken place because we think we can run the world better without God. We think we can do better on our own. And any time anytime we look for something else or someone else as our fulfillment to be our blessing, we exchange the truth of God for a lie, which is what Paul says they do in verse 21. For even though they knew God, they saw God around them in creation. They did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they came, became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and look what they did. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Exchange the truth of God for a lie. And we do that when we look to someone else for our hope, when we look to something else for our significance. And this is the essence of exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Putting trust in creation, in God's creation, in something else instead of what he has done and who he is. And that includes if you trust the pastor more than you trust God, or you trust your husband or wife more than you trust God. You've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So Paul says the wrath of God is poured out because we do that. Because we think the world and the things of the world and creation are way better and more powerful than God Fundamentally, that is sin, exchanging the truth of God for a lie. It goes back to the garden, go back to Genesis, right? Adam and Eve believed the lie of the serpent that said they could be like God if they ate the fruit. Why was that a lie? Because they already were made in the image of God. They didn't have to do anything. But they took it upon themselves to do something because in their sinful thinking at that moment, they said, if I can do this, I can be like God. And we've been suffering from that ever since. Well, here's the great exchange. This is why the gospel is so incredible. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes that God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus comes in, right? This is the gospel story. Jesus comes in. He takes on the form of of man. He lives a perfect life, fully submitted to God in everything that he does. Always worshiping, always obeying, always doing everything right, whatever God wants. Every feeling, every emotion, every action is perfect. Think about that. Every feeling, every emotion, every every emotion, every action he does is perfect. All done to God, ultimately on our behalf. And that man then, the Bible says, when Jesus went to the cross, all of our rebellion and all of our sin was placed on him. The great exchange, right? We exchange the truth of God for a lie. Jesus exchanges that back. Give me all your sin, he says, and I'll give you all of my righteousness. That's the revelation of God in the gospel. That's what happens when we believe 
that the gospel is sufficient to save us. You and I can be made right, even though we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We can be counted righteous in the eyes and mind and heart of God. Think about this now. Every one of those evil thoughts that you've ever had, every one of those things that you've done wrong to hurt someone or to promote yourself or be selfish or prideful, every one of those thoughts, every one of those beliefs from everyone who's ever lived, Jesus took upon himself. He who became sin knew who, who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Think about that. He, he who knew no sin became sin. Man, just put that into your theological pipe and puff, puff, puff away on that one for a while. That should just blow your mind. The great exchange. All of our sin for all of his righteousness. Because God still considers sin when he looks at it. He never says sin is no big deal. Don't get that wrong. He never diminishes sin or what it does. But when he sees us, he does not see sin. He sees Jesus. You see, we do have a loving God, but he will not let sin go unpunished. Jesus took that punishment. He saved us from the penalty of our sin. That means we don't need to work harder to convince him that somehow we're worthy of that exchange because we have nothing left to do to be righteous. The Bible tells us to boast in Christ, to glory in him. Don't glory in your repentance. Don't glory in your good works. You know, it's like our, our favorite football teams. You know, when the Patriots win today. When our football teams do well, what do we do? Yes! Right on! Go Tom Brady! Now, we're not there. We're not on the field with them, but what are we doing? We're glorying with them. We're boasting in them. Yes, look how great they are. Here's what the Bible tells us we should do with Jesus. Do the same thing. Jesus, you're so amazing. Jesus, you're awesome. Jesus, thank you. God saves us from the penalty of sin for the purpose of becoming his beloved children. So I ask you this morning, if you really believe the gospel, do you believe that? That the gospel is so amazing that Jesus took your sin and he took your shame and he took your guilt. You don't have to live with that anymore. Because when we do sin, what do we generally do? We get back into the whole shame and the, the guilt. And Now, do we worship God when we sin? How long does it take us to start worshiping God after we sin? How long does it take us to thank him for Jesus and the grace that we have that we know that our penalty has been paid for that hideous act that we just performed. You know, the longer we wallow in shame and guilt after we sin, the longer we stay away from worshiping Jesus. The longer we give glory to the flesh, the longer we give glory to sin is the longer we magnify the wrong God. You know, don't get into an argument with someone and let that drag on for days and days and days. You're just glorying the flesh. You're glorying, you're glorying sin instead of worshiping Jesus Christ who said, yes, you, I've, say, I've paid the penalty for you to live like that when you fall into sin and stumble. There's no penalty for that against you anymore. There's no shame for that. I've covered that. So what if, don't get me wrong, we're supposed to be convicted of sin, right? Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come into the world to convict the world, that's you and me, by the way, of sin and judgment and righteousness. So there's still conviction going on, a godly sorrow, if you will. 
not shame and not guilt. What if when we started to sin, let me put a hypothetical here. What if we began worshiping Jesus right then? Right, so I'm about ready to click on that image on the internet. I'm about ready to get into that terrible conversation with my spouse. I'm about ready to do something that I shouldn't do. And what if we just began worshiping Jesus right then and there? Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and taking my terrible sin on your life and dying for it so I can go do what I'm about to go do. What would we do if we did that just before we sin? What do you think what we would do? We wouldn't do it. That's the point. The closer and the sooner we worship Jesus when we see sin propping up or temptation propping up in our life, we won't do it. And the faster we'll get away from it after we have sinned. Do you see that? We've got to go to Jesus as quickly as we can after we sin, hopefully before we sin, and thank him for being so amazing. Thank you for taking the penalty of that. If we keep doing that, you know what the Bible says? Grace is going to become so much more compelling than your sin. What Jesus did is going to be so more amazing and so more satisfying than what you're about to do or what you just did. That's how we overcome sin in our life. More on that in just a little bit. If we don't get that, if we don't get that, we've got to go to Christ because we have no condemnation now. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. God is not looking to you for your forgiveness. God is looking to Jesus for your forgiveness. God is satisfied with Christ taking the penalty of your sins. You don't have to pay for it anymore. You don't have to perform to prove to God that you're worthy of this thing called salvation. If we don't get that, we're always going to be trying to convince God that we really are sorry. Trying to convince God that if we just do this, he'll really love us a little bit more. We're just trying to earn his favor just a little bit more. We won't believe that Jesus prayed in John 17. It's true that God would love us with the same love that he loves him. God has saved you from the penalty of sin for the purpose of us being dearly loved children. We were children of wrath. Now we are children of God. It's not just a legal transaction. It's a a transaction of adoption. We're loved. It's not just the rebellious becoming righteous. You are loved. This is relational good news, guilt, shame, all covered. God is not against you anymore. There's nothing to be ashamed about anymore. God is not against you. God is for you. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe God is really for you? So not only are we being saved from the penalty of sin in the past reality, but we are being saved from the power of sin, present reality, for the purpose of bringing him glory in all things by the power of sin. Of his spirit. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, if you will. 1 Corinthians 15. So Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and they had a whole bunch of problems. There are lots of issues in the Corinthian church, right? It's funny that every single issue he talks about, he brings them back to the gospel. He brings them back to the power of God for salvation through what happened in Jesus Christ. You. He says this in verse 1, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you. He says, I want you to understand what you're going through here is you need to relate it back to the gospel. The gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, current tense, 
by which also you are saved, current tense, present tense, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. Those words that he's using there, indicating that you received the gospel, you were saved from the penalty of God by believing the gospel. And now you stand in that gospel, and you are being saved by that gospel. And he goes on to talk about the gospel in the next few verses. Now, he's having a discussion of the resurrection issue, actually, in this passage in Corinthians. And the resurrection is super important, right? That's super good news. We're not just forgiven at the cross, but we are alive and able to overcome sin because of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of us. Don't, don't miss that. We have power in this life because the very Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, lives in me. You see, in the gospel, it's not only that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but that he rose again to overcome sin and Satan and death for you and for me. And Paul thinks we should overcome, we should uh, understand that power is there for us to overcome today as well. Paul thinks if you just remember the gospel, start believing that, you can overcome sin today. He's going to tell them that if Jesus had not been risen from the dead, then we of all people would be the most to be because we would still be in our sins. We would have no confidence in this life. But he says we do. In fact, Paul would say, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not really a Christian. It's not the prayer that you prayed. It's not the baptism that you went through. Paul would say, in fact, I think throughout Scripture, he looks at them and says, do you have the Spirit? Do you have the Spirit? Do you have the Spirit? In Romans 8, he writes, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... He does not belong to him. If you don't have the Spirit of God living in you, you are not a Christian. You get Jesus, you get the Spirit. And if you get the Spirit, you now have the power to overcome sin in your life. Paul would actually say that the indwelling Spirit is the only sign that you've been cleansed. Remember the Old Testament, God would have to cleanse the temple, or we'd have to cleanse the temple before God came in, right? You've been cleansed by by the belief and the faith that you have in Jesus, and now the Spirit can come and indwell you. See, the Spirit can't come and indwell a, 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 a temple that has not been cleansed. Jesus cleanses our temple so that God can now live in us through His Spirit. Do you have the Spirit this morning? Has He been telling you how much the Father loves you? Because if the Spirit is not telling you how much the Father loves you, you've got the wrong Spirit. In John 20 just before Jesus leaves after his resurrection and, and coming back and meeting with them, he said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And we take that verse and we go, okay, that's a great commission, and I get that and all of that. But don't quit reading there. Because he continues and he says, And when after he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. You see, the, the Holy Spirit is the only way to really mobilize people to get out and do what they've been called to do. Remember in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into uh, the wilderness, right? Nobody, I don't want to go to the wilderness, do you? But yet, Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. And there he was tempted by the deceiver himself. So the Spirit can certainly lead us into the wilderness and lead us... To be, we can be tested 
But Jesus does all those incredible miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and if Jesus, who is God in the flesh, relies upon the Holy Spirit's leading him and empowering him, shouldn't we? You know, sometimes I think we've left the Spirit out of our church most of these days. We can't do anything without the Spirit of God indwelling us and giving us power to go do it. And see, here's the thing. We are being saved by the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. We are being changed from one image to another. We call that sanctification, right? As we increasingly submit our lives to him, he works through us, and we are made more and more like Christ. Because Christ is calling us to a life in the kingdom. And it is not like life in this world. Make sure you understand. Jesus is calling us to a different way of life because we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. God's spirit now indwells in us, and he says, I've got a new life for you. And it's not like life in the world. I think too many times we as Christians, we try and reconcile, you know, the Monday through Saturday life with the Sunday life. We've got to stop doing that. The life that Jesus is calling us into, the life that we're supposed to be led by the Holy Spirit into, is a life that we don't really always know where we're going. If you want to always be in control and know where you're going, live in the world. That's the way the world lives. You know, go read scripture, right? Go find out how people live by the Spirit since the beginning. Here's Abraham. God shows up and says, come with me. Where are we going? I'll show you. And as it turns out, Abraham went the wrong way. Had to turn around and come back. Never did God say you're doing anything wrong. Just let me lead you. Let me show you. How about Gideon? Remember Gideon, the story of Gideon? You know, he's going to be this mighty warrior of God. Where, where do we find Gideon in the beginning of that story? And he's hiding down the bottom of the wine press. Too afraid to, 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 to do his shaping of the of this, uh, grain in the open where he might be seen. Super chicken is what he is called, I guess. God says, you know what, go raise an army. He raises an army of 30,000. He says, nope, that's too many. Let me just give you 300. That's all you need. That way, when we get the victory, I get the glory for it. How about Joshua? Living the life led by the Spirit. He goes into Jericho. Here's your strategy for victory. Walk around the town seven times, blowing your trumpet. There it is. Boop, 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 boop. And I walk around. Boop, 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 boop. Seven times I walk around. And the walls fall down. Imagine if we went to downtown Coronado, all of us walking around blowing trumpets, waiting for God. What would they say about us? Could we do it if God told us to? How about Moses, parting of the Red Sea? Think about the people walking through that water on either side. What do you think they're thinking? How long is this thing going to last? <laughs> Who's the last one through? Get him in here. You know, all those situations involve people really not knowing what's going to happen. And not knowing where they are going, but they are trusting God. Here's the lesson. We need to trust the Spirit of God the same way. And they were being saved. All those situations look to a person who is being saved to a life of of awe. We see in in Acts chapter 2. They were all in awe of God. Do we live a life of awe these days? When does awe happen? A-W-E, awe. When does that happen? I'll tell you when it happens. When God does something we can't. 
when God does something so incredible in your life or the life of your church that you stand back and you say, there is no way that that could happen except that God and his spirit is working. Get yourself in a place where you need the power of God. Because God's salvation is, is good news. It's good news that he doesn't give up on you and me, that he's still saving us by his spirit. When does all happen in your life? I want to encourage you this morning. The power of the gospel is that God wants you to do things by his spirit that only God can get credit for. Are you allowing that to happen in your life today? Whatever you're doing in life, if you feel like it's an impossible place, if you feel like it's impossible to go forward with this without the Spirit of God, good! You're in the right place to be. I think so many times we've been taught in this country, just pull yourself up by your bootstrap, be a self-made man, and the whole council of Scripture says, no, no, no. Jesus said, you can do a couple of things without me, but the rest you really need me for, right? No. He said, you can't do anything without me. You can't do anything without my spirit. Nothing can you do. He said, nothing. Church, boy, we try and do a lot on our own power. We need to understand that the gospel and the power of God for salvation is that he works through us. We are saved by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and he wants to do incredible things through us and for us so that his kingdom will be brought in. Sometimes I think we just need to confess that we need help. God, give me help because I can't do it without you doing it through me. That's the hope of the gospel. Do you believe that this morning? Because every one of us, including me, is an unbeliever in some area of our life. Don't miss that. We haven't been made what we're supposed to be yet, right? When we, be, when we see him, we will be like him. But until then, we're just looking through a glass dimly lit. There is some area of our life where we are guilty of unbelief, that we still exchange the truth of God for a lie, that we still believe that if we did this and if we did that and we trusted in this, everything's going to be okay. There is some area in your life that you don't trust God with. I know that to be true because it's true about me. You know, the, the classic thing is, is finances, right? And here, here's how the gospel works in that. Uh, sometimes we think, well, I can't really, I can't really give, but if I do give, you know, God's the owner of the cattle in a thousand hills, and we say, okay, well, I'll go give. Well, wait a minute, that, that may be true, but that's not the gospel answer. Just to quote, well, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The gospel answer is, no, Jesus, who had everything, who was rich in heaven, came to be poor and have nothing so that we can have everything. So if he would do that, if he would send his own son who had everything to bring him down where he had nothing to die for us, will he not give us what we need? If he would do that for, to Jesus, why would he not give us what we need? That's the gospel answer. For now I can trust God with everything. I don't have to quote some scripture because it's not the scripture that has power. It's the Holy Spirit living in me that has power. So there's a gospel answer for, for everything that, that we do. I want to encourage you this, this week. Start looking at that. We're going to talk about that more next week, how we actually work those things out. Walk by faith and trust Him. So we've been saved from the penalty of sin. We've been saved from the power of sin. And finally, we will be saved from the presence of sin in the future in heaven. 
Turn with me to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is where we're going to close out this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, there's your past, uh, power of, of, of salvation, to a living hope, there's a present power of salvation, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, there's the gospel, to obtain an inheritance in the future, which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, there is something that's going to happen in the future. We see it described in Revelation, and we also in other places, where Jesus is going to come back. And there's going to be a change in our bodies and in our lives and in the reality of this world. And that's going to come. That's a fact. You know, sometimes we, we deal with some pretty serious things in this life. Health gone bad. Finances gone bad. Kids gone bad. Job gone bad. We're tired. We're tired of watching the evening news and how bad people treat each other and how our government doesn't do this and how people don't do that. And we're sick of living in a world of brokenness. We're sick of living in a world where there's death and suffering and sin, where people are taken advantage of by, by bad people. Greed and selfishness seem to be the only way to get ahead. You see it every day. We're sick of it. We're tired of it. And sometimes it seems like the pain and the suffering will never end. And we just want Jesus to come back. Just come back, Jesus. Come back now. Because we know that we have a new world waiting for us. We know that we have a new body waiting for us where there is no sin, where there is no Satan, where there is no brokenness, there is no pain. We want that world. It's a hope for us. God has saved us so that we know that that is our home in the future. It's a, it's a future hope, a future promise. It is we were saved from the presence of sin in the future. So we want that to happen. But we know that there's a lot of other folks who haven't heard the gospel yet or haven't believed the gospel yet. So we're kind of, okay, God, well, i got to stay here for, for that purpose. Because if God hasn't brought us home out of this pain and suffering and sin-sick world, what's the purpose? To bring the kingdom to others. To let the kingdom break through into this world through us. That's our purpose. Go back to why we're here. Disciples who make disciples. So we, have the, so we live in this, this Jesus, come back, but not just yet. Jesus, I want you to come back. We've got friends and family and get saved. It's that not yet reality that we're kind of living in. Now, maybe there's some of you who don't believe in the future hope of the gospel. Maybe there's some of you who don't understand and believe what Christ has done for you is held securely, as Peter says, in heaven for you, undefiled, imperishable, and that nothing can touch it. Remember, Jesus is the right hand of God. He's the right hand reigning over all things, and nothing can destroy what he's done. Your salvation is kept. He will get you through to the end. He's going to rescue from this sin-sick world. He's coming back to take us to be his own, and he's going to come into the world to do it. That's a future reality. 
because some of you don't believe that. How do I know? How do I know that some of you don't believe that? And sometimes I don't believe that. How do I know? Because I live with fear and anxiety in my life. Sometimes we constantly worry about tomorrow. You know why we are worried? Why we are anxious? I think God sometimes, I think anxiety is, is, is a gift from God sometimes. Because it says, you know what, something's not right. You're, you're not believing something about the power of the gospel. What is it that you need to go fix and repent of and start believing so that no fear and anxiety exists in your life? God, by his grace, turns us over to that. Maybe we want to be in control. And we have found that we don't do a very good job of running the universe. So we say, well, we'll just, that makes me anxious, right? When I realize I can't really run the universe. I can't run all these people's lives. It makes me anxious. A little bit afraid. You're out of control. Because I want to be in control. So we say, well, I'll just control this little piece of the world then. But even that doesn't feel like we're doing a very good job of it. I think God is saying, let me... Let me just show you something. My grace is allowing you to feel the fruit and the effects of your false faith for being in control of your life. Seeing the truth of God for a lie that I can be in control. So God is saying, quit, quit putting your hope in something that can't rescue you. Put your hope in me. The promise that you are held secure until the end and nothing can touch that. These are the things that God is calling us to do. But we don't do it unless we believe God's really in control. Maybe we're afraid of, of losing things that are lesser than God. Losing our finances, losing our home, losing our reputation, whatever. Even our lives. I know Howard preached a sermon last week about getting out on mission. Right? You, you have to realize that there is nothing left to fear to give up everything to get that which is better. Which is Jesus. And the promise that he's got for us. And so what do we do? We, we hold on to the things that we think we can't control. And we think these things are more cherished in life than Jesus and the hope of our, of our future. So we're afraid. Because we really don't believe what God controls is better than we, we can control today. I want to encourage you this morning. Let go of that. God's got a hold of you. We've got to believe that on faith, that God's got a hold of us. Jim Elliott said this, He is no fool who loses something he cannot keep to obtain something he cannot lose. And if you believe that, that God has captured you, and that you have been saved from sin, and you are now a child of God, then God has got a hold of you. Some of you say, well, what if I, what if I let go of him? It's not about you holding on to him. It's about him holding on to you. Believe that and live that. Now, if your confidence is in is in how well you're going to end instead of how well Jesus did end, then you're going to be full of fear all your life. But if you can say, Jesus ended well, he'll make sure all of my life ends well, then you can step out and say, God, whatever you want, I'm willing to do. Are you willing to do that this morning? God, whatever you want, I'm willing to do. Just tell me. Tell me what you want me to do. We've been saved from the penalty of sin, past reality, become dearly loved children of God. We've been saved from the present uh, power of sin. 
so that God can work all kinds of great things through us and through his spirit. And ultimately, we're going to be safe in the presence of sin so we can worship and be in the presence of our king forever. That's the gospel. That's the power. If, if there's something not right in your life, go back to those things and say, what am I not believing about the power of the gospel? What is it that I'm not believing? Let's practice this a little bit today. We're going to do a lot more next week. We're going to learn how to really live this out, really make a difference. When things show up in my life that are negative, how do I deal with that with the gospel? We're going to look at that next week and actually put some things into, into practice where we can say, you know what? I can change how I think. I can change how I act. Not because I'm changing my behavior, I'm changing what I believe. Because what you believe will change how you act. So let's practice that a little bit this morning, and then we'll close. So this is, this is audience participation time. Is God glorious? Is God big? Just give me an answer, yes or no? Of course. How do you know that? How do you know that? Look around, right? We just read that. That's the story. That's the way it begins. God's the creator of everything. Yeah, he's huge. He's glorious. There's nothing more glorious than God. Just look around. I love that. I'm going to use that for now. Just look around. Is he great? In other words, is he powerful? How do you know that? Look around. <laughs> God is great. God is, is powerful. How do I know that? He raised Jesus. See, that's the gospel answer. See? We've got to start looking to Jesus as, as the answer to all of our issues. How's God great? Well, because Jesus overcame sin and death. Didn't leave him there. Boy, that's God's pretty powerful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's nothing greater in your life than what Jesus went through. And if God got him through that, he's going to get you through that. Is God good? Is God good? You guys are hesitating. How do you know that? He sent his son and what else? 